Hello and welcome to this episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and my guest today is Leighton Sheldon. He's the owner of Just Collect Inc. and VintageBreaks.com. Leighton is a baseball card dealer. That his core. It's super, super interesting how he got into the business. So grateful I got to have this conversation. He's done some business with Gary Vee. He's had some conversations with him and what he's doing. He has some great stories about that too, which was a lot of fun. But really, his story starts at Johnson & Johnson. He was a Rutgers grad like myself. And if anyone that went to Rutgers knows, in honest, all honesty, the job you want to get is at Johnson & Johnson. And he got it. And he realized it wasn't for him. And I, I give him kudos for that. And he uh, he understood that the the corporate world wasn't for him. And he wanted to deal in baseball cards. And he was able to create multiple businesses out of that. And I applaud him very much so for doing it. And I loved his story. So I hope you all enjoyed this conversation with Leighton Sheldon. Today, I have Leighton Sheldon, owner of Just Collect Inc. and VintageBreaks.com, former former director of acquisitions at Leland's, and a financial analyst at Johnson & Johnson, also a proud Rutgers graduate like myself. Leighton, thanks for hanging out with me today, man. Uh, it was my uh, pleasure. Thanks for having me. The pleasure is all mine. We've already been talking for like 15 minutes. I decided, well, let, let's, let's click record. Maybe we're getting some really good stuff. I'm sure we'll go over it all again. Uh, but the first question before we get into any of that stuff that we were talking about on For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Uh, you know, I think for a variety of reasons, um, but I do believe that sports, you know, mimics life. So, you know, if you want to succeed, I remember being literally a five-year-old kid in my parents' backyard in Sarajevo, New Jersey. I'm the oldest of four. So my brother and sisters at that point either didn't exist or were very, very young. Uh-huh. I had a Fisher-Price baseball bat that I went into the backyard with. I remember playing baseball, whatever that meant at the time. And Michael, I remember thinking it was the biggest, if you will, stadium in the world. So all those years later, I went back to Sayreville, New Jersey, 60 Eugene Boulevard. I remember it quite well. And it was much smaller than I remember. And so the reason why I bring it up is sports helps us dream. So beyond the actual adrenaline rush, beyond the competition. When you're a six-year-old kid, you haven't been to school yet. You don't know about necessarily being an astronaut, but you can get a ball. You can throw it with your dad. You don't need anyone. You can throw a ball off the wall. I did that for hours. I would take my baseball glove and either a rubber baseball or a tennis ball, pretend that I was a second baseman or a shortstop, and like challenge myself like no other. And um, even years, years later, I really wish I had gotten into tennis when I was younger. I didn't. Uh, candidly, I probably poked fun at some of my friends that did. Um, and now being a proud dad of Crosby, who's a five-year-old son, or five-year-old son, um, you know, you can see sports does so much for us. Meaning tennis is great because you work out for an hour and you have a tremendous workout and the competition's great. Now, mm-hmm. I love golf, but four and a half, five and a half hours later, my wife's like, where are you? <laughs> so, so my point is, is sports is just, it's, it's, it really just mimics life, right? It gives us that ability to escape when we want. If you like math, which I did growing up and still do, um, I remember looking at the backs of baseball cards. I can tell you how many doubles Mattingly had in 87 because that's how I read stats. I didn't look at the internet, uh, or at least at that point. Um, and so, um, you know, I think for me, it's, uh, 
you know, it's just the romanticism of everything uh, rolled up into one. And, um, you know, I was lucky. I, I certainly didn't play anything professionally. I had decent hand-eye coordination growing up. And so, you know, I played as much sports as I could. And that was, that's what we love doing. I mean, what kid out there did not come up in their backyard, bottom of the ninth, game seven of the World Series to two outs, right? Yeah, what what, what kid didn't do that? I did that every day, practically. And it was cool because I had... Um, so I have my brother who's a little bit younger than me. And then I have three cousins who are also boys uh, that were all about the same age as my brother and I. Um, so it was always like, Justin's on first, CJ is on second, Scott's on third, Michael's up to bat. What's he going to do? He always hit a home run, of course. And I think I was only, sure. up, I was always down by one, but I hit the grand slam anyway, just to kind of, you know, of feel myself a little bit. So that was always fun, but I completely agree. I mean, it allows us to dream. It allows us to challenge ourselves, and it's a nice activity it's a workout people really do enjoy competition i mean a lot of people do and if you like sports you played it you've always been in it that competition mixed with the activity really get your blood flowing a little bit i mean that's sounds like a fun afternoon to me and yes i did make fun of those same people that play tennis too and then i tried it and it turns out it's a blast so i guess jokes yeah, on us it. right <laughs> i'm actually taking a lesson i never took lessons in my life because you know i want to get better you know and i remember credit to my instructor john he's like hey so what kind of tennis player do you want to be and I thought it was a trick question. I'm like, I don't know, really good? You know, like, <laughs> and he's like, no, no, what I mean is, do you want to, you know, just be lackadaisical about it, come on Saturdays, hit with a buddy, and not really care? Or like, you know, do you want to get a little bit better? Oh, I said, oh, yeah, listen, you know, I'm not looking to, to go to Wimbledon, but, but I enjoy competition. Mm -hmm. um, and I do enjoy playing tennis. I think it's a great workout. Um, it's a great escape. And I would say for us, whether it be yourself, Michael, or, or other small business owners out there, you know, certainly not. Uh, under the times that we're in right now, but under regular times, um, what I found is, you know, if you need an escape, just all the adrenaline, all that stuff that's going on, and then, you know, you're not looking at your phone for an hour, it's literally like a recharge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're done, you take a good shower, you get a nice lunch or breakfast, depending on when you play, and all of a sudden, like, you feel a little bit better about the day ahead of you. So that's, you know, I guess my two cents, whether it be it's running, whether it be it's going out and shooting some hockey pucks against the garage, but uh, if you can do that once a week, once a day, uh, I, I highly recommend it. I completely agree. Get out there, move around again. Yeah. Right now is a little weird. And depending on yeah. where you are, obviously be smart, be safe. But, um, yeah. you know, you and I actually, if I'm not mistaken, live relatively close. Yes. I am based in Manville, New Jersey, and I'm pretty True. sure you're based only like 10 or 15 minutes away from me, uh, which is kind of funny. So when everything does get back to normal, let's grab a beer. Let's maybe teach me a little tennis. And we'll get this thing rolling. So I do want to, um, you know, again, really appreciate you hanging out with me today. I know this is going to be fun. We've already been chatting for 20 minutes, but I kind of forgot to click record earlier. So now we're, we're, so we're rolling with it now. So we're going to go over some of this stuff. So let's play a game. Which one of these doesn't sound like the other? Collector? Director of acquisitions? Vintage breaks? Referring to baseball cards and, and other cards? And financial analyst at Johnson & Johnson, which was, it seems like your first job right out of Rutgers. And as we, we were talking about it, if you go to Rutgers, you know the job at Johnson & Johnson, everyone wants it. doesn't matter what major you're in. Totally. Everybody's trying to get a job at Johnson & Johnson. I tried to get a job, unfortunately didn't, or maybe fortunately didn't. Um, I had a bunch of friends that did. They loved it. Some loved it. Some hated it. So, I mean, you got the job, man. Congratulations. Coming from a Rutgers grad myself, like, congrats, man. That's incredible. But why, did, why financial analysts? All these other things you do sound way more interesting. Oh, sure. So if you look at the timeline, it's not an accident. Um, I uh, went to the Rutgers College Business School. I graduated with a degree, which, you know, I guess now 20 years ago makes me sound like an old man. Um, but uh, I got really lucky in the sense, forget about the jobs for a minute. Um, you know, I don't want to go too much into, let's say, childhood and, and this and that. But what I would say is, 
what, what was abundantly clear to me is I didn't think I was going to be happy getting a job just for money, doing something that basically everyone, including my parents, parents, friends, teachers, counselors, the job market was really hot in 2000. Now, I do want to clarify one thing. I worked at Johnson & Johnson when I was in college. I worked there for two years. I started off as a summer intern, and it was only supposed to be a summer internship. I actually worked in a department called Strategic Sourcing at Johnson Johnson Corporate. And it was right downtown. I would go to Old Man Rafferty's for lunch, and I felt like a million bucks. It was great. It was earning like a decent hourly wage, and then I convinced them to let me work during school, like, you know, 15, 18 hours a week. And I did that for about two years. And what that did for me, Michael, was a few things. One, it allowed me to see what was going on in corporate America. j and is obviously a flagship company. I figured, wow, this is a great way to get my foot in the door, work here after school. You know, I was one of those eager beavers. I was part of the finance club. I was in a fraternity. I, you know, I did a lot of different things because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and so uh, when I, after working there for a couple of years, um, and, you know, the numbers really were interesting to me. And so what I did in strategic sourcing was um, I compiled a lot of data from different vendors that was all in different forms, and you could never tell what the exact pricing was, whether it be a print job, it didn't matter what it was. So it was my job, and, and to be fair, I loved uh, J&J. They treated me like I was their pseudo son. I worked with seven other women, which let's be honest, you know, is not so bad uh, as someone who's in college. Um, and you know, some were of the motherly type, some were mentors, and, and really, um, I just learned a tremendous amount. So like they paid for me to go take Excel classes. I thought this is unbelievable. So I became, you know, if you will, at the time, somewhat of an expert with Excel so I could take all this data and show it to the team and explain to them, in my own opinion, who I thought was giving us the best deal. You know, they would figure out the terms and all that good stuff. And so fast forward, I remember the day uh, I asked Ann Mullen, who's my former boss, to go out to lunch. Um, you know, I told her I was leaving and I got very upset. And, you know, I remember the reason I got upset is because, you know, I felt like they were my family um, and they were so great to me. But what had dawned on me um, through whether it be my buddy's dad who worked across the street at corporate, um, had a big spacious office, like, you know, the couch in there, the whole shebang. Um, it dawned on me that I didn't really have a passion for it. J&J sent me out in the field. They're like, you could do sales if you want. I went out into the field to do medical sales for a day to see if I like that. And I just, I just didn't have the fire, Michael. So um, instead of going and taking, uh, let's say, an offer from Anderson Consulting, which I believe I got offered when I was done with Rutgers, um, you know, it paid fairly decent for a starting job. You got 2,500 bucks for suits. Um, and business consultant was a hot buzzword at the time. Um, and so uh, I decided to pass on the job. And um, the reason being is I wanted to try to pursue something I enjoyed. And one of the, if not the main thing that allowed me to do that was financial independence. And so because I worked so hard in college, don't get me wrong, I partied. I definitely wasn't the best student. Um, kind of like Gary Vee would talk about, you know, it was more important to me to find myself and, and to make money candidly. I don't want to graduate with 40,000 in debt. So I actually paid for college as I went with baseball cards and Johnson and Johnson. Um, and to be fair, like I did every job freshman year when I moved in by third day, I was painting a boat, with my buddy Scott. Uh, and you know, we got paid 80 bucks for the day. You know, like that's just what I did. I always hustled. Um, and so when I graduated school, I very much wanted to try to do something I enjoyed. Um, candidly, I wasn't good enough to be uh, on the Yankees. I didn't think the Celtics wanted me. Um, and even though I had this maybe, you know, fanciful version of me being a sports agent, once I started to look into what that meant, it just didn't seem like that was a road that I wanted to take. 
Um, and so if I was able to uh, work in an industry, in a hobby, whatever you want to call it, and actually make a living from it, I wanted to at least take a shot. Um, and so my first job was actually working for Mark Murphy, the baseball card kid. He was a mail order business out of Old Greenwich, Connecticut. And Mark had a few dollars in his pocket. You know, Old Greenwich is a nice town. But it was a very small business. I had sold baseball cards to him through the mail when I was 15. And that's how I was familiar with him. He advertised in a magazine. So fast forward, he basically offered me the same amount of money that I got offered to work for Anderson Consulting and Business Consulting, less the suits. However, the key part of the job, I was allowed to buy and sell baseball cards on the side. He sold unopened packs of cards, mm -hmm. so I wasn't going to be in competition with him. So even if I made, I'm making it up because I really don't remember, but if I made an extra $10,000 in my first year, plus everything else, and I was happy, mm -hmm. it was pretty good. So that's, you know, that's the quick, the quick story of J&J, &J, how it is such a wonderful organization. But because I had worked so hard in school, I didn't make the mistake, candidly, of taking a job after school mm -hmm. to test out, should I work for three years in corporate America? By the time I had been done with school, much to obviously my parents' chagrin and some of my parents' friends were like, you know, pretty much you're an idiot. I don't know what you're doing with baseball cards. Right. And it's cute that you love to growing up. But like, man, you got a degree now, bud. What are you doing? Um, but, you know, that's how a lot of interesting things start in life, right? A lot of people Absolutely. tell you can't or you, or you, you won't or you shouldn't. Um, so. My but advice if you love is to it. pursue something you're passionate about. Yes, exactly. If you love it, I mean, the, there is money in pretty much anything. Um, and, and, you know, you brought up Gary Vee. I'm, I'm a true believer in that as well. You know, you can go out and be a millionaire doing a lot of things that you hate, or you can go and make enough money. You know, you can still make 100K, but even if you can make 50K doing something you really, really love. And a lot of people, you know, would ra I'd rather put more time and more effort into a job that I make, you know, enough money to pay my bills and live comfortably than make a million dollars and hate every second of my life because you're asleep for eight hours a day. You're working at work, thinking about work for another 12. So you essentially get four hours a day to yourself. I would rather take that 12 and put it into something that I love doing and, and I'm passionate about. So I completely agree. And I think, again, you took a really interesting approach because most people would not have taken the approach to get the job while in college. Yeah, maybe they would have gotten that summer internship. Felt like a million bucks. Old Man Rafferty's is a great place. They got good burgers. Sure. They got a great steak. If you're going there for lunch every day, that's not a that's not a bad life. And you can see and you can convince yourself almost that, all right, I can do this corporate America thing. But instead, you did it while in school, which many people would not have. And then this allows you to now understand corporate America is not for me. I would much rather go out and do something that I love, which again is baseball cards, which is dealing in sports. So I have to ask, where did the love of baseball cards and memorabilia come from? Uh, like at what young oh. age were you like, this is, oh, this I is could, it? I can absolutely tell you. So two points. I collected a lot of cards in 1986. I was just in love with it. I read baseball digest cover to cover. I stole my dad's newspaper every single day. And especially on the weekends, I would literally get in trouble. Lay in, where the F is my sports page? I'm like, I'll be done soon, dad. Um, you know, and so I really just loved everything about it. So it didn't start with cards. It started with sports and that Fisher Price bat. And then I'm fairly certain that whether it be I went to a flea market or the candy store with my dad or my parents, and I saw, like, wait, what are these? Like, wait, you're telling me I can get a card of someone I'm watching on TV? That's awesome. Um, and so then I figured out there's a lot of cards in the set. Maybe I'll complete the set. Um, and my first, I would say, foray into the economic part of it was when I had doubles. I don't remember the exact age. I don't want to mislead anyone, but it was definitely, you know, 11, 12, 13, something like that. 
and I went to a card show or the local card shop and I'm like, Hey, I got these, you know, 10 extra cards. I'm thinking I probably have, I'm making it up 25 bucks in my hands. And the guy's like, here's a dollar 50. I'm like, Oh no, no, you must've miscounted, sir. <laughs> you know? And, and so no, they didn't miscount. Um, it was just what they wanted to do. And I think that my first card show I set up that was about, you know, between 12, 13, 14. Um, but I remember the cost. It was $35 for a table. Um, it was actually at a local temple. Uh, and um, I split the table three ways with two other friends. So literally it was 12 bucks. Um, I have to tell you something. Yeah, I, was about, I was about 12 years old because it's the 1989 King Griffey Jr. rookies. I had a Domus Red rookie. And I actually thought I was a great salesman. And what I realized years later, Mike, is that, um, you know, there might have been a few people who took pity on me that day. Meaning like a few adults were like, hey, I'll buy that thing for eight bucks. I didn't realize that until years later. And so I really try to pay it forward. Um, you know, we have a live uh, YouTube show. I want to go, you know, off track here. Um, every single week on YouTube, um, where I myself actually get on there. And it's in conjunction with my company, Vintage Breaks, PSA, the company that grades the cards. It's every Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. And it really gives me a, a chance to stay kind of connected with folks. Um, and, and talk about like even some of the corny things we're talking about now, you know, like, like having your doubles and, and how did you get into it? And so like, I'm encouraging people right now, for example, with everything going on with, with Corona and such, listen, people are kind of rediscovering their old passions and such. Please take your time right now, organize your collection. If you have $83 of extra cards or $187 or just 10 bucks, instead of taking your family's money right now, which, you know, of course, a lot of people are getting laid off or furloughed, the difficult time. Maybe take those extras that don't really mean that much to you, whether it be you trade them or you sell them. Now's a great time to kind of reignite that passion. I love it. That is fantastic, man. And I think that I, I, uh, I, I am confident it's already happened a couple times, but you're going to remember memories based on years and which cards are coming out. We Definitely. did Michael Jordan's rookie year. We did Ken, Rick, Ken, Ken Griffey Jr.'s rookie year. Uh, so I'm excited to kind of hear this story and, and uh, all the other cards you can remember along the way. That'll be a lot of fun. And so, um, as you said, you, you had the opportunity with Mr. Murphy, which I think is fantastic. And he allowed you to help him um you get paid yes. the same amount of money as you would have if, if you did a job where you pretty much would have not really enjoyed it or not nearly enjoyed it as much and then you still got to have your side business as well which was selling individual cards at what point did you decide hey i kind of you know this is great love working for for this gentleman but i think i can kind of do this on my own sure so it took one more step one more step. Um, i worked for him for about two years and I would say after a year, year and change, it was a small mom and pop business. Great guy, treated me very well, but I wanted to learn more. It wasn't about mm -hmm. money. I wanted to learn more. So I found um, a particular auction house, Leland's, uh, mm -hmm. and I still keep in touch with Josh and Hef, the owners. Um, a buddy of mine, Albie, as he's affectionately known as, Rich Albersheim, who's an autograph dealer, was friends with them and still is, and said, hey, late, I think they're looking for, you know, kind of a young guy who knows baseball cards. So, Michael, as much as I did know baseball cards, I didn't know a lot about vintage. I know a little bit. But, you know, I didn't grow up in an environment in my household where there was, there was mm -hmm. money. Candidly, my dad wasn't interested in it. So it was my money that was buying the cards, mm -hmm. you know, as little or as many as I had. And so, you know, they wanted a quote-unquote vintage card guy. And I was a card guy, a little vintage. Mm -hmm. And so I just told them what I knew. You know, I didn't want to mislead anyone. Um, I said, I was real excited. You'll consider me for the job. Uh, if you'll teach me and wh whatever the case may be. And so maybe they hired me because it cost a few bucks less than the next person. I don't know. 
but I know that uh, I'm thrilled that they did hire me. Ended up working there for four years. And when I started off there, I'm mean, with no exaggeration, I worked in a pit area where there was like, you know, four or five other people, complete chaos. And one of my jobs for them was to get quote unquote consignments where you sell something for someone and you get a fee for that. Um, we, would do th we would do so in a catalog auction. That's what we did. Well, I got very interested and excited and I got pretty good at it. Um, and I got so good that it felt awkward for me to go to them. The office didn't come first. Didn't get my own office first. I said, hey guys, like I'm really struggling here. I got a lot of packages coming in. If I open all these packages and have to organize the information, like I'm losing two hours a day. So the, the, you know, the entrepreneur in me, the person looking out for efficiency was always there. I just didn't want to do that for some one or something or an industry I didn't have passion for. But it was very obvious to me that I was more valuable to our operation than just opening the packages. So I thought we should have someone else do that and then let me try to get more stuff to come in. And so that kind of, you know, fueled the growth and then, you know, ended up in my own office, which of course felt good, you know, working for the company and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, titles certainly have changed through the years. But yes, at the time, being a quote unquote director of acquisitions was something I was proud of. I would tell friends about it, family, um, you know, people in the hobby you know, hey, wow, this guy Layton, I don't know who this is, but you know, hey, he's a real friendly guy, knows a little bit about baseball cards. I'll talk to him maybe about selling some stuff on consignment. Um, and so it was that job, working there for a few years, where I learned a lot, Michael. But I would say maybe by the second or third year, probably early in the third year, I saw some opportunities in the marketplace that Leland's wasn't going to serve, that other people weren't going to serve. And I decided that I was still young enough and I had I didn't realize it 100%, but I thought I wanted to work on my own mm -hmm. and decided to take a shot. And, you know, at that time, it was pretty scary because, you know, I was living in New York City. I lived in the village. It was awesome. I was making good money. Mm -hmm. uh, I was doing the reverse commute to Long Island. People thought I was insane at the company. They were like, yeah, move out to Long Island. You know, it's great. And, and Long Island is nice. I almost moved to Long Beach. It's a wonderful beach community. But I really wanted to be in New York City. Um, and so when I started my business, I actually started Just Collect as a consignment business for the, the longer tail of things. So in other words, let's say Leland's dealt with items, I'm making it up, but roughly speaking, that were $1,000 and up. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more under $1,000 items out there than you could even possibly imagine. There wasn't really anyone serving that marketplace in the collectibles field. Now there is. Mm -hmm. um, and we bought and sold a little bit too. But you know, if you have time, I can tell you about how we transformed that business. We have um, time. Because, yeah, we we'll, did. We'll get there. Simons. We'll get there. I promise you that. I, 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 I always hate when people say long story short. Keep your long stories long, man. This thing's sure. supposed to be 45 minutes to an hour. Like as long as you got the time, I want to listen. I want people to learn sure. because again, I, I learned through storytelling, um, you know, Italian grandparents, that whole thing, you know, that's, that's its own thing. Um, but that's how I've learned my whole life. So I really do enjoy these long form. Let's get deep into some of this stuff. So with Leland's, and kind of, as you said, you saw the entrepreneurial spirit within you at that point already. How... How did they take, you know, kind of you having these suggestions? How did, how did you go about it to make sure that you weren't stepping on toes and that you weren't kind of saying, you know, I'm oh, above this? You know what I mean? Sure. So I would say very carefully. Um, and since we're just talking real life here, some of, it went, some of it went really well and some of it was difficult. Uh, there was an individual that was older than me that, let's just say, was on like a parallel career path, if you will. And one reason or another, you know, didn't like me. Um, and uh, couldn't figure it out. And I learned a lot about not just business, but about life uh, from that gentleman. Um, and I still know him to this day, actually. And, you know, we're, 
we're a little friendlier than we were, you know, back then. Um, but uh, I realized, uh, and it's a very important lesson, not just in business, but of course in life, you will never be able to make everyone happy. It's a really important lesson. It's not an easy one because it feels uncomfortable. And so to answer your question as directly as I can, the way that we're talking now, I went into Josh and Hef's office. I said, guys, this is my idea. What do you think? And maybe the first, you know, eight times or late, you're bothering us or come back, you know, Friday for a meeting. They'll talk to me. They're like, huh, I guess he's got a lot of stuff coming in. And I just think it didn't happen overnight. Uh, about me personally. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, being in office was really just about having better organization. You know, once again, so it was never about anything for me personally. Did it feel better? Of course it did. I felt a little bit more accomplished. But it wasn't like I wore a t-shirt or a necklace that said, wow, man, I have my own office and baseball cards. No, I was just happy. Uh, and that God willing, we can all do. We can be happy in what we do. Um, that would be my best advice for people. So, well, you know, Gary's trying to bring that message up to his you know, man, I don't consider myself to be, let's say, the sharpest pencil in the box or, you know, someone who's going to cure anything or whatnot. But I'm very in touch with my feelings. I'm very in touch with who I am. And um, I'd like to be happy. Uh, and I think that that has a better impact on my family if I'm able to do that, uh, on my wife, on our five-year-old son, and even on our dog. So that would be my recommendation, you know, for others is, you know, if you think that there's something at work that should be changed, if you go in and yell and scream, it, it may work, but realize like your boss or their boss, like may not hear you. So, you know, maybe take the gentle approach and kind of increase that, you know, level in which you're going to talk to folks. Um, everyone's going to develop their own style. But um, the style I think that is best for the masses is what we're talking about, Michael. Maybe making a few bucks less now doesn't mean you'll make a few bucks less in the future. But you'll definitely be happier with every day. You'll sleep better. You'll eat better. Likely you'll treat people in your lives better. Um, and I do believe that firmly. Absolutely. I, I love the point you made. It's, it's more important for your family, for you to be happy and you to do what you love because yes, you can make enough money. And, and even in the future, you might be able to make significantly more money because you're going to put so much work, energy and effort and passion into it. Right. But it's for, you know, you, you hear the, the horror stories of, families where yeah maybe maybe the husband or wife makes a boatload of money but they're never home they're always traveling and no one's ever happy and there's always constant fighting well how you know how much better is that extra couple dollars if if no one's happy with it, it you know bigger house i hate big houses uh, i don't really like cars that much like I, I i don't know i'm pretty pretty uh i hate material things you know i'd rather you know sit down and have a nice dinner every once in a while that's really all sure. me but um no i love that and i think that that's great advice and it is fantastic um you know, just life advice, right? That people can really take advantage of and do something with because especially right now in the time we're in, a lot of people have that extra time, right? Like at a minimum, you, you at least cut out your commute. And I know a lot of people that have a commute of over 45, I mean, the average commute is about 45 minutes. So you take- Especially the hour, Northeast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. Um, so, you know, you, you're taking an hour and a half out of your day You do something with it. Uh, you know, try and figure out if you hate what you do, you now have an extra hour and a half to do something with it. Now, are you going to just wake up a little bit later and then kind of not do much? Okay, that's fine too, but then you got to stop complaining, right? Like that's another Gary Vee thing too. You got to stop complaining. If you're not going to do anything with the extra time you have, you can't tell me how much you hate your job because you don't hate it enough to do something about it. So 
you know, that is, that is what it is. And with Gary V in mind, I mean, you know, he's very well known for his baseball card collection. Did you guys kind of come up together? How did that, do you, have you guys met? Have you done a no, little bit of work together? Uh, yeah. Oh, I wish I should, I should have sent you the video. So, you know, I know Gary, we actually correspond by email and it all started. Um, so uh, I attended one of his uh, charity functions, not too far from my home. I paid for the super duper VIP ticket and it happened to be uh, a fellow friend of mine that also knew Gary was going. So we kind of said hi real quick. And I literally waited the whole night, you know, cause people, and you could see though, he's so gracious. So it's, it, it's like impossible for you to get impatient waiting for him. Cause you see how patient he is with people he doesn't even know. So I experienced Gary for the first time that day and it was really just, it was wonderful. So we wait till the end of the night and this video is now on YouTube. It's on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash advantage breaks. It's hysterical. Um, I brought a few packs with me. Um, just thinking like, Hey, I know Gary was a card nerd. Maybe he'll want to open a pack with me or he'll appreciate I brought him the pack, whatever the case is. Yeah. So the last few minutes of the events, when we had the upstairs, like you paid the VIP, you know, shtick. And uh, it was funny cause it was, it was definitely centered around wine, which I don't really drink wine. I try to mm -hmm. pretend. Um, so at the end of it, we opened a few packs and it culminated with a 1986 Topps football pack. Well, he's a big Jets fan like myself. And I said, um, you know, I'm looking for an Altoon rookie. Uh, he was an Altoon fan growing up as well. Uh, possible Jerry Rice rookie. And then he takes the gum like he doesn't even think about it from 1986 and he eats it. And it just, I agree with you. I'm looking at your face. Like, yes, of course. Like, why would you do that? But like, he just does what he wants. And we had a great time with it. It was really fun content. And like, did I ever get a customer from that video that I showed people? I don't really know. But I know we had a great time. You could totally see it on the video. And I still get a laugh about it, uh, you know, to this day. But one of the nicest things that happened from that event was my sister sending me uh, an email. Because I have two sisters, um, both younger. My brother's younger as well. Uh, but it's the younger of my two sisters. You know, hey, late, love what you did with Gary. You know, because a lot of folks knew Gary at that point. This is a, probably a year and a half, two years ago. Um, it was really great to see see you in your element, you're just having a lot of fun and being yourself. And that was, you know, uh, a great experience. But then we got, excuse me, Gary involved in a couple other things that we've done since then. Excuse me, we opened up a 1961 Fleer basketball pack at last year's national. And what's really wild, we didn't get anything great out of it. Um, you know, possible Will Chamberlain rookie, Jerry West, um, Oscar Robertson, Elgin Baylor. He takes the gum and he tries to eat it again. Now he said, when he from 86, has got an iron stomach. And I believe him. Yeah. He regurgitated the gum while we were live on air in his hand like this. He goes, oh, sure. So, um, you know, I had very much wanted to do, you know, this project and that project with Gary. And then I'll tell you, because of the way Gary is, I actually took a step back. And I realized that I'd like to kind of act as if. And so um, our interaction was minimal, but yet powerful when it would happen. And like I said, we have a mutual friend. His name is Ryan. So I know that whether it be Gary himself or his folks, you know, I just did an interview. Have you ever heard of 1.37 PM? I have it's, not. Uh, it's, it's actually a, it's a, oh. it's a, it's a yes. Gary V company that's about, I don't know if he owns all of them. I'm not sure what the scoop is. But it's like a men's life style, you know, site. Talks about baseball cards and sports and, you know, I don't know, eating well, all sorts of different fun stuff. Um, and so I did an interview for that last week with Tyler, who's, you know, like his right-hand guy, you know, uh, at his corporate, you know, offices. And, um, you know, we literally talked about anything from baseball cards to, you know, life. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's nice to know that if I have an idea, 
even if I don't want to, let's say, execute it with someone like Gary, I might email him and ask him what he thinks. He might not write back for a few days or a week or a month. Um, but what I've also learned on my own, and then of course, you know, if you will, being a student of Gary, that, that way of thinking, I don't take, or I try not to take anything personally. So, you know, talking about the no judgment thing, which Gary's really big on, you don't know what's going on in someone's life. So I never really sweat that if he wasn't getting back to me fast enough, was I anxious, was I excited for him to do that? Of course. Um, but, uh, you know, we found out for one reason or another that he wasn't going to be involved in vintage breaks, but his buddy Ryan now is. And so, um, you know, we have some new partners from when we first started vintage breaks and, um, we've, let's say opened 1961 clear pack together. Uh, I was part of a, you know, discussion he had last year at the national sports collectors convention. Um, he's friends with a buddy of mine named Jason and they've done some like card investing together. So what I like for me is that I actually have access to a great mind and not so much like the celebrity, because if you think about it, right, you know, when I was 20 ish or just graduating college, that was kind of what Gary would have told me to do. If I had a Gary V in my life, it would have been, Hey, late, don't worry about how much you get paid after school. Oh, wait a minute. You paid for school as you went. You definitely shouldn't worry about how much you get paid after school because you have like the world at your fingertips. Now that's not what my parents were telling me. And that's not what my parents' friends were telling me. They were kind of calling me names, if you will. Um, some of which I can't say on here. However, um, that's why I think I, I, I take to that way of thinking so well and, and that whole school of thought. Um, but he is exactly as you see him. Uh, he's very gracious. Um, you could tell he's extremely humble. Uh, and he really just wants to share what he's got going on in his world with others. And I love that about him. He is, he is awesome. And it's always, it ended up that we actually went to the same high school. Uh, we had some oh, of the wow. same teachers as well. We're only, That's I mean, fun. we're a few years apart. I mean, 15 ish maybe but some of those teachers were there for a while he always every once in a while you'll see it's like a once or twice a year thing now he'll post his um he'll post his uh report card uh and it'll yeah, I see that. Yeah, yeah. regional high school on it uh, sure. or the regional might not have even been there yet but north hundred in high school and i think he got like a c plus in ceramics so my brother and i are always like how did mr klinger give you a c plus in ceramics like what are you doing to deserve a c plus everybody got at least a b man what were you doing so we uh we razz on him sometimes he actually gets back to us about it which That's is pretty cool. funny um and then all my cousins went to 100 and central so then sometimes when he again when he posts that they razz on him about what he should have went to central it's actually happened a few times we all have fun with it but so we've spoken a little bit about just collect i think um you buy you sell it's more in the vintage arena, if I'm not mistaken. I have 1879 to 1979 here. This is a yes. pretty incredible 100-year stretch, especially when you consider baseball and, and um, everything like that. What, was, what is the reason for that time period? Is it just the, how difficult it is? Is it the dollar amount? Those are always nice, too. Like what, what was it for that 100-year stretch? Sure. So in general, in the 1980s, they started to produce a lot more cards. Mm -hmm. So although there's cards that are valuable from the 1980s, it's just uh, pretty simple, like business economics and generating leads. If we started to advertise that we were buying cards from the 80s and up, I would go from having X amount of leads per day to having 8X, 15X, whatever the case is. They produced a lot of cards in the 80s. So whether it be you're selling paper clips or baseball cards, now let's talk business, real business. If you're an entrepreneur, as much as I'm excited to get all the leads in the world, it dawned on me very quickly, Michael, that I can't get all the leads. I need to drill down a little bit. So that's what I did. 
So don't be wrong, we buy Michael Jordan rookies and we actually now have a page on our website, justcollect.com slash modern cards. So when folks call, they're like, you don't buy any modern cards? Matter of fact, we do, sir. Please check out justcollect.com slash modern cards. Um, and uh, to try to explain to you um, in a nutshell, what's very interesting about Just Collect is you talk about the ability to change. We started off in our first few years, we literally did millions of dollars a year in consignments. We would take a fee for those uh, consignments, we would sell the cards, and of course, that's how we would earn our revenue. The business changed because other people came in and they tried to undercut us. We created software, which we thought was, let's say, differentiated, and we'd be able to charge more. Michael, it became very obvious to me that I was gonna be part of this terrible cycle of everyone just undercutting each other. Eventually, it was gonna be purely a volume-based business and just widgets. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know how much different that would have been for me than corporate America. So I decided to actually switch. Meaning, roughly speaking, of course, we were 80-20. So when we were doing millions of dollars a year in sales, 80% was in consignment, 20% was buying and selling. I started figuring out how to use Google, how to use search. And admittedly, I think I pissed away a lot of money, you know, doing, you know, buying keywords and such. Oh man, but when I discovered SEO, I really wish, of course, I had gone to school for it. I as I said, I wasn't a great student. But boy, as an entrepreneur, I love getting my hands dirty. And boy, did I did I, I did that. And so if you Google from your phone, Michael, either now or after our show, how do I sell my baseball cards? Just collect will come up organically, one, two, or three in the entire country. And that's how we get a lot of our leads. Let's see. Just collect number one organically. Yeah, that's not easy to do. It takes no. years. Oh my gosh! Yeah, absolutely. Years of work. So I wanted to sh uh, have a shout out to Jam Graphics, which is a New Jersey-based uh, company. Uh, John Tedesco is a friend of mine. Um, not growing up or anything, we became friends through business. I have the utmost respect for him and his team, and we're actually building our new vintage breaks website. So they built the Just Collect website. They helped me learn about SEO. Um, and then, uh, I like to think I've taught them some things about marketing because I'm always kind of getting my hands dirty and willing to try, uh, you know, whereas, you know, other companies, maybe a little bit, if you're bigger, it's harder to change quickly. So that's one nice thing about owning uh, smaller businesses is you're able to adapt and change a little bit more quickly. So we did do that. We, we over, I mean, it wasn't quick, it took a few years, but instead of making like razor thin margins and always being busy, uh, I decided to invest in myself. And invest in our company and what we can do. And so now you can go to our website, justcollect.com. You fill out an appraisal form. Within 48 hours, someone get back, someone gets back to you um, and lets you know what you have, what we think it's worth, if we're interested. And if we're not, you know, we send you one of those, hey, uh, <laughs> wish you luck. Maybe donate it to a local boys and girls club. Um, and, and you kind of take it from there. So I'm basically a professional treasure hunter for baseball cards. And I love it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, what what else could you enjoy more than that? Well, I mean, I'd rather just... play second base alongside you. Okay, like, good point. Like, like, you know, there's no doubt, but like, I just I didn't have it. No pun intended, but it wasn't in the cards. Ah, ooh, that's a good one. Um, so that is interesting, man. And I love to always see kind of how businesses, especially because you've been in business almost 15 years now, over 14 yeah, years. Yeah, it's crazy. Kind of seeing that 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 change and that transition and understanding again, like things change, especially with the in, in not just the invention, but the the utilization of the internet up to this point, I'm sure obviously back in the day, as you said, it was about 80, 20. And now it sounds like it's a hundred percent just buy and sell. And as you said, treasure yeah. hunter and, and really just getting that in. And now 
So that's one of the businesses you own. And then before we actually we got on, uh, you were telling me that story about Darren Ravel. So tell me a little bit about VintageBreaks.com and what you guys are doing over there as well. Sure. Um, so uh, this started several years ago, once again, as a passion. Um, every year at the National Sports Collectors Convention, um, I would take, whether it be one or several old packs, 50s, 60s, you know, maybe early 70s. They were mine, you know, the companies. And I would open them. I would hope to get a really good card. And then maybe if it was really nice condition, I would get it graded. Um, grading is something that didn't exist maybe when you and I were super young, um, but now does exist. And what that means in a nutshell is it's a third party that's letting you know what your card, the condition of your card is on a scale of one to 10. And the reason why that's very useful is because as much as I think I'm a nice fella and I'm trustworthy, I'm a little biased. Like, you know, it's kind of like when you sell your home, right? Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, people come in, well, I see that crap. I didn't see that crap. You know, you always think your stuff is nicer than, than uh, everyone else's stuff. It's just how it is. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, in regards to um, opening the packs and such, we would literally have like a small groups of, of five. Like, you're not talking about a lot of people. And yet it was like the little kid in me that just loved it. So um, every year at the National Sports Collectors Convention, Michael, I take, I mean, I work my butt off for seven days in a row. Uh, actually a great story for last year's national on the last day of it, Gary saw me and I saw him on the floor of the national. It's like four thirty. people have already left. I'm still doing deals. And he looks at me like this. And he's like, yeah, like we were still hustling. Like, even though it had been the whole week, like I'm working till the end, man. I love it. Um, so, uh, what happened or what happens every national is I work my butt off last year at the national, you can track how far you walk in a day. I walk 37 miles over the course of the week. Um, it's on my blog. You can check it out. The story about it, justcollect.com slash blog. It's because the whole, the facility is several football fields. So if you're like myself, a treasure hunter, and also someone who wants to network and talk to people, if I stay at my booth all day, they, they, I can't do that. So I literally don't spend any time in my booth. Uh, folks actually make fun of me for it. At the Just Collect or the Vintage Briggs booth, I'm there very infrequently because I'm out there seeing what I can buy, acquire, and talk to folks. Um, so every year at the national, I try to slow things down for at least a half hour, an hour towards the end of the week. I put in my headphones and walk around with my music. Um, and whether it be, I try to buy something for my son. I look for something that's cool for my collection or business ideas. Um, that's what I'm focusing on. So several years ago I walked in, it was called the case break pavilion. It was like an offshoot, like another room of the national. I'm like what's going on here? Huh? No one told me about this. I'm not kidding, Mike. I'm looking all around. There's computers. People are talking like on microphones. And, and like none of that's going on in the old school part of the mm -hmm. national. I'm like, I got to see what's up. So I looked around what was going on. And a lot of people were doing this thing called breaking. They were opening up new packs of cards by like the dozen, by a hundred. I mean, like a lot. I'm doing the numbers in my head, Michael. I'm like, there's got to be some profits here. Something's going on. Um, and I really love technology. My, so I own just collect on hundred percent of it. But when I started, I had two business partners. One of them was my roommate from college who was an IT guy. And we'll just call the other guy, the money guy, right? Um, the money guy and I are still friends. The guy from college, you know, we keep in touch, but not as close because that's just the way life goes. Um, and, uh, you know, we, um, we figured out from, from when I say we, you know, myself and my team, like what was going on. And I said, I wonder if they would be like, 
folks out there virtually would be interested in, in kind of what I was doing at the National, opening these old packs, but I couldn't get everyone to come over to my house when I do that every time or come over to my business. So I looked into who the leaders in the field were. And I actually started the business with, if you will, one of the leaders in the field. I own 50%, he owned 50%. Now, fast forward, we've actually bought him out. Uh, he left the business last August. And um, we have a team of partners now, and they were very excited to be part of it. Um, and they really have such interesting backgrounds um, that our team is stronger than ever. Um, but we went from, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, you know, let's say in a given night when we first started, we might've only sold like 800 bucks of stuff total, like for a multiple hour stream. Mm -hmm. Well, Let's explain, explain the stream, explain the stream. For oh, us. sure. Yeah. I realized I, um, I think you skipped it. Up. Yeah. You skipped yeah. a little bit. So we took this idea of opening the old packs of the show combining with the technology that's going on with these modern breakers, we wanted to see if people would watch a breaking channel, a channel on YouTube, that would focus on old packs being opened, not new packs. In the beginning, we definitely had some interest. It was a little slow, but I still loved it. And I remember my right-hand guy, John uh, Palmeiras from our office, he's worked with me for over 10 years, and we have several employees that work for us for over 10 years, meaning it just collected. I literally went to John, I said, John, we're going to start this thing called vintage breaks. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't really know what's going to happen. We're just going to have some fun. We'll see what, where we go with it. That was only like two years ago, two years and change. So yesterday was the end of our big events. And without getting specifics, and I certainly don't want to brag, but I'm proud of our team. When I talked about this $800, there was several people yesterday that spent $800 in a transaction. Forget about for the whole day. So if you do what you love and you think about, of course, you have to consider the business aspect of it and you lay it all on the line. I mean, I wear my heart in my sleeve. I don't know if you can tell it already, but that's how I conduct myself personally. And that's how I conduct myself professionally. And we grew from this little audience of people. We actually had, uh, as I mentioned, Darren Vell covered that event a few years ago. So Darren hopped on yesterday and, um, he actually helped us, uh, he bought a pack in a 2003 SP Authentic basketball box. So what's kind of cool, vintage can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. We started off in mid-50s and 60s. But to be honest, LeBron's rookie 17 years ago. So why isn't that vintage? Who are we to judge? So my point is I'm a card nerd. So I don't really care when it's from. If I like it, the chances are you're probably like it as a fellow card person. So we opened up the box looking for a LeBron James rookie. We didn't get it. But we got a Michael Jordan autograph insert card. Twitter blew up. We've got literally, I'm not exaggerating, 350 new followers from Twitter since yesterday. Dozens of new customers. And yet, we didn't buy anything. We didn't buy any advertising. We, we do buy advertising, but not in this case. Mm -hmm. So if you take content that's original, that's authentic, and just take like your best nerdy self. Like if you, you know, are a tennis person and nerd out with tennis, you know, if you love uh, um, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, tell me the best way to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich during this time. But I think now's the time for all of us as a society to be going after that love that you haven't looked at in either a few months or a few years or longer and rekindle that. But there's no pressure. 
Because if no one likes it, it's still okay. You're having fun talking about it. So that's what happened with Vintage Breaks. Literally, I didn't know it was like screaming in a farce. Does anyone even care? I don't know. Are they going to hear me if I scream in a farce and no one's there? Maybe. Maybe the trees listen. I don't know. Um, so uh, if you fast forward, we built this. I didn't realize this would happen. We have a tremendous community. And what I mean by that, sorry, I had a work, a work call coming. I just declined it. Um, uh, literally, um, you know, we have folks who have bought for other folks who are down on tough times right now in the chat will buy them a pack to kind of lift their spirits. I'm getting goosebumps now. Listen, man, I want to make money. I'm an entrepreneur. I couldn't have, cra I couldn't have created that or crafted that any better than it sort of happened. And I didn't buy that. We just created it. So that's what I'm, I guess, trying to express right now is take this extra time you're having with your family, try to create, but do it something that you're passionate about. And then you might have a real good chance in the future to do something you love for a living. Nothing wrong with that, right? We've been saying it this whole time. Find something you love and run with it and do something unique about it. Um, you still, uh, so you did a great job at explaining everything, but exactly what you actually do at Vintage Bricks. Could oh, you sure. Explain sure. that for so us. Get that. I love the idea. I just want people to understand a little bit better. Yeah. So um, what's really cool is if you buy a whole box of wax packs, like you and I did when we were kids, there'd be 36 packs in there. Some boxes have got really expensive. So let's say you don't want to buy a whole box of 2003 SP Authentic Basketball, which costs several thousand dollars. There's 24 packs in the box. Yesterday, Darren bought a spot, i.e. one pack, for $125. Here's a little catch, though. We don't open anything until the product sells out. So we're literally a virtual baseball card shop. And we will only open it when an item sells out. Everyone who's in that break gets an email that says your item is sold out. We have a break calendar, which will let you know when your item will be opened on camera. Um, when we first started, we only went live a few days a week. We're now going live six days a week, um, which is pretty you know, wild, considering it, it wasn't our main business. Um, and so what's really neat, you get to leverage your $125 to buy a pound. You didn't have to buy the whole box for a few thousand dollars. And you get to also share that experience with 23 other users because there's 24 packs in the box. So we can kind of all be nerds together. And if you will cheer for each other, and that's what I'm most impressed with is, you know, folks in general, right? There's always exceptions, but in general, there's a lot of camaraderie. Like, hey, Steven, good afternoon. Welcome, chef. You know, we have a guy who's a cook. Uh, you know, runs a catering business. I'm like, you know, even though I haven't met many of them, I have met a couple of them, we all feel like we know each other. And especially what's going on in the world right now, even for the folks who can't buy in, they still have a place to come congregate. And that's what's really incredible. So to kind of get back to the business aspect of it, you didn't have to spend a few thousand, you spend your 125. No, you might get a bum pack. Plenty of people in the break, I don't want to mislead them. You get a bum pack, but you didn't spend a few thousand bucks. And you got the experience out of it. Oh, and then what happens when you actually get something really good? So this Michael Jordan autograph card is worth several thousand dollars that that person got for 125 bucks. It's by no means guaranteed, right? What's, what do they say when you invest in stocks? Today's performance is not uh, indicative of future uh, you know, performance. So, so it's nothing like that. Um, it's good, wholesome fun. But then we actually drilled down a little bit further. So let's now we take a pack. So once again, a box is like that thing you saw in the candy store that had 36 packs in it. Well, some of the packs now are super duper expensive, Michael. 
So instead of selling the whole box, we take a pack that has 15 cards in it. We sell the pack by the card. You buy one card. Some, buy, some folks buy more than one card. Our big break by far, we had a pack of cards from 1955 Bowman. A few years ago at the National. We opened it live on stage. There was 20 cards in the pack. Second to last, I'm getting goosebumps again about it, insane. Second to last card of the pack was a Mickey Mantle. I went bananas, meaning I blew up. You hear the audio on our YouTube channel. It's horrendous. There's thousands of people in the National. Some people thought there was a terrorist attack. Other people thought someone won something big because I scared the F out of people because I was like, ladies and gentlemen, I didn't know what was going to happen, man. We just pulled it. I mean, it's absurd. So get this. The person spent $500 for their spot. It got graded on a scale of 1 to 10 by PSA, Professional Sports Authenticators. That weekend, the next day at the National, it got graded a 9 out of 10. It just sold for at auction a few months ago. Gentlemen decided to sell it for $60,000. So it can happen. Some good ROI. Yeah, it's a lot of action, right? And so especially with no sports right now, literally that's our Facebook campaign right now, you know, our paid Facebook campaign. No, and I love that. I mean, I just think, you know, how you've been able to build this community. And I think the coolest part is, you know, obviously, as you said, you know, with Darren Ravel, you know, as you, you and I were speaking before we got together, uh, or at least before we started clicking record, um, just kind of his way of going about it and what he's done and how he was actually able to really blow up your platform. One of those first few times you were able to get on, he then, you know, restreamed it to his Twitch and his, his YouTube and, or his Twitter pages, wherever it is. And that got that really, really helped you guys a significant amount of followers, or at least a significant amount of eyeballs, which is very important. Yes. Then with what you're doing. And I just think, as you said, which is really cool, you know, you have these 24 guys that are guys or girls that are getting in on these packs, but then you have everybody else that just comes to watch. And I just think that part's the coolest part because you don't, Hey, right. Especially now we don't really have too much to do anyway. But you come to watch, you come to just see what's going on and how it's going. And I think that that part is so cool. And, and, and it really shows how you were able to actually build a real life community through this online platform, which again, you know, I can't wait for this to continue to grow over the next month and change. Hopefully then everything comes back and then you can do this live and in person and still stream it so that everyone around the country yes. can watch. But everyone in New York City will be able to, you know, come in or central New Jersey will be able to come in and hang out. And hey, maybe even Gary Vee will make an appearance. Who knows? Exactly. I love it. And then you were, you were just about to drop some really great information about either a Facebook paid campaign. Oh, sure. I'm going to talk about Facebook in a second. So I want to finish okay. with Darren. So Darren wasn't there at the national. What's um, so uh, when Darren was um, uh, Darren was at the national, I offered to buy him a ticket to come out. Cause I, you know, uh, he'd been you know, doing some stuff for us. I appreciate it. Um, he didn't, as soon as we pulled the mantle, I called him as soon as we head off stage I gave him all the information. He ran something on ESPN for us. By later that day, um, uh, USA Today, he picked up the story, Washington Post, it ran on CNN. So we literally blew up to the masses. And forget about sales. We just had eyeballs we never would have reached. Mm -hmm. um, so that was incredible. Um, I hear my wife uh, yell in the background, so I'm going to try to leave uh, some Facebook knowledge for folks. Um, right now, uh, my best advice is if you're advertising on Facebook, get your hands dirty as a small business owner, learn a little bit what's going on, and then go find a trusted agency that you can deploy. Like you can pay them. I'm making it up as little as a few hundred dollars a month 
and they'll spend your Facebook money for you. But don't let them do it for you and you don't get your hands dirty. The key is get your hands dirty while they're doing it. Now, I've actually grown with my agency. A shout out to Gilda Social in Syracuse, New York, um, who helps finish breaks. So even though they do the work, I'm still on the front lines. So if I have an idea that can drive growth for the next time we're going to do something. Um, so that's my best advice. But yeah, we spend a bunch of money on Facebook the last several months. Um, and we get incredible engagement. Our cost per click is really low. So if you do it properly, I believe right now for small businesses that Facebook is the best place to be advertising, especially with what's going on in the world. Especially what's going on in the world. And I know your wife's yelling at you so late. And this is the last thing I'm going to say. Sure. A friend of, uh, a really good friend of my dad's was at a yard sale and he bought a book because he liked the cover. He opened up the book and there was a Honus Wagner card in perfect condition as a bookmark. Wow. Yep. Wow. And I don't remember how much it sold for, uh, but this gentleman, instead of, you know, encasing it in a safe, he would actually just walk around with it and just show everybody. He's like, hey guys, look what I found. Because he found it. It was found, you know, I don't know, however however many dollars. Um, but just a funny, funny little story there. So great thing to add on top of that. One of our most popular blog posts on justcollect.com slash blog is where people find baseball cards. So we've had people contact us. They found a rare Walter Johnson in a Bible found cards in a hole in the wall in Jersey City. CBS came to my apartment in Hoboken and I lived there to interview us. Like it's the wild stuff that happens. Um, we can go on, I'm sure, for hours, but I'd like to hours. stay married after today. Yes, uh, I would like you to too. So Leighton Shelton, owner of Just Collect Inc. and VintageBreaks.com. I'm going to get all those links from you eventually. Put them in the show notes so everyone can check all those out. Thanks so much, Leighton. Thank you. Take it easy. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode with Leighton. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. I'm very grateful I got to have this opportunity to chat with him because, again, he believes in all the same things I believe, and he does all the same things that these guys on the Internet that we know and love, Gary Vee, David Meltzer, that they're teaching us. And he lived it, and he showed us how it is all possible. So if you can find something you love and work extremely hard at it, there will be money to follow. So I think that is great. So please make sure to follow Leighton, Just Collect, and Vintage Breaks on everything. They're all in the show notes. All those links, you guys know where it works now. Everything's in the show notes. And also please make sure to give us five-star reviews wherever you're listening to us. It would be super, super helpful in getting to spread these stories and share these stories a little bit further. And it would be very, I would be very, very grateful if you helped us out with that. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's the only thing we don't get more of. So thank you for giving me some of yours and I hope you make it a wonderful day.